starting a new chapter on Kill by Kill. Greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from Camp Crystal Lake, or as close to it as I could possibly afford. And this is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We'll be unpacking all the gory details of Friday the 13th, the final, the, not, not, not the final chapter, a new beginning. I so want this to be the final chapter still, <laughs> but it's not. Anyways, we're going to hope that a camper or mental institute's, you know, residents, their demise is just the beginning of the jokes we can make about them. Whoa, I used to have that uh, intro done a lot better. Uh, maybe <laughs> someone can help me out. The only person that I trust to help me in the dark and stormy night, it's Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Eh, you know, here we are. <laughs> you know, oh, we, we knew this was coming. We, yeah. we knew that five tends to come after four, and and <laughs> we can't just, you know, as responsible podcasters, we can't just skip from four to six. Yeah, that we would have be nice. To, we have to address for going from the best in the series to arguably the worst no it's not arguably it's definitely the worst i think we need to keep it open at least for now it definitely ranks towards the bottom for me and obviously for you as well um for several reasons and i think this process will help illuminate those in the audience who might have a better opinion and if they do if you like friday the 13th part five don't change we're not going to argue you out of this opinion but we are going to state the problems and they are numerous, that we have with this particular, and I'll put dick fingers on it, entry in the Friday the 13th franchise. Oh boy, it's just terrible. Anyways, yeah, let's... I, yeah, I think that it's this is the point where the series is getting near its, uh, what I would call its Skynet moment, where it's becoming self-aware. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're aware that the movies are silly and more or less deliberately feeding into that perception. Yeah. So in this case, it kind of offers the gimmick of, hey, audience, you know how the earlier movies had that one character you really looked forward to seeing killed off in a horrible manner? Well, now there's a whole bunch of them. <laughs> you know, and it's just, you know, and it has a, a, a you know, it's, it both begins with it and it was just a dream begin, and then ends with it was just a dream, which is just, I mean, beyond the, you know, the stupid twists that everybody knows about. I mean, it's just, it's a really infuriatingly bad movie. Yeah, this isn't one of those films where the plot is a mystery wrapped in a riddle. It's more like a mystery wrapped in a giant sheet of paper that says Roy did it. Right. I mean, and they don't it even... takes no and spoiler <laughs> alert: Roy fucking did it. Yeah, they don't even do an remotely effective job at setting up the possibility that it might be Tommy. Not, not. I mean, just him, like, kind of meaningfully looking at his little pocket knife isn't really doing it. You know, there's just... Really, I never... If I, if I came into this having no familiarity whatsoever with any of the movies or how they ended, I still wouldn't have thought it was Tommy. They didn't even make the barest effort. Uh, in the very first movie, we have that red herring cafe where you go in and meet... The townspeople, all of which look like they want to murder any young person who happens through. (laughs) Here, they try to set up the same thing and they fail spectacularly. Anyways, let's introduce our special guest and get him into this conversation. He is from the Square Roots podcast where they dip into the latest and greatest and grandest in video game technology. 
and games. You can tell how out of step I am with the youths of today when I describe <laughs> video games in that capacity. It's the one and the only John Brandon. How you doing, John? First time, long time. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, my friend. You've been such a lovely supporter of the podcast, and you have such a great podcast yourself. It seemed natural to bring you on here to help us get through this terrible film. I am slightly angry to have watched it again. Uh, what was your first introduction to the Friday the 13th franchise? Uh, well, there was a video store by my house, and it had an extensive horror section. So my first introduction was just looking at all those black VHS covers with Jason's mask on it. Right. And it was so scary. And, like, you turn over to the back, like, with trembling seven-year-old fingers and see, like, someone's eyes gouged out or someone with a big machete in them. And you thought they would be the most terrifying experience of your life. Finally, my brother did get around to renting them because uh, I have older brothers. And I saw Kevin Bacon get stabbed through with a pit. Oh, well, like, a, what would you call that? A it was an pipe, arrow. And <laughs> I ran upstairs. But then later, the first one I actually sat and watched was four. I thought it was five until today. But the first one I saw was four because of the Corey Feldman one. That that and one, I think, are the main ones that anybody would need to see. But that's what makes five such a, a crushing disappointment. <laughs> well, but I, Jason X, he goes to space. Jason X is, a, I think, a delight from a very self-aware <laughs> standpoint. Uh, it's the best of, uh, it's the it's certainly the best of the new line uh, output, but then again, the new line output is two movies, and the other one is Jason Goes to Hell, <laughs> which um, is insane. And I am both looking, greatly looking forward, and absolutely dreading when we when we cover that. So let's get right into a new beginning. And usually here we would start with previously on Friday the Thirteenth for that saga cell, but nope. Not this time. This is a new beginning. It's right there in the title. Although the first thing we see are the tiny legs of someone playing uh, Tommy Jarvis because the only shots of Corey Feldman that we see were actually shot in his backyard while he was filming The Goonies. So those are actually just two pieces put together. Yeah, I I forgot that he was even even in it. I I mean, I forgot a lot about this movie other than other than how much I disliked it. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I was a little bit, so I was like, oh, they did find a way to squeeze him in here. Okay. Yeah. He um, spends the majority of his cameo with his mouth open to a degree. I'm surprised like a turkey. He doesn't drown. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of rain machine. And I'm, I'm just kind of stunned the amount of, of fake rainwater he's swallowing while he stares at other things that happen, because, of course, he's not involved in the filming of this whatsoever. I mean, this is a quickie, down and dirty, shoot you in the backyard, someone spraying a hose over his head, and just getting the shots that they need and saying, thanks so much, Corey, have fun on that pirate set tomorrow, and getting the fuck out of there. Are you saying that that for the close-ups, it was only Feldman for the close-ups and for the hooded figure running through the rain with the flashlight that was someone else yeah probably a a young woman who is tiny is (laughs) is most most kid actors for for second unit generally are the smallest female cast member of any crew it was the creepy elderly lady from don't look now oh see that would elevate this like a thousand percent if we had a killer dwarf in this fucking thing 
That, that would be great. But no, no, we don't. We get a crazy ambulance driver. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> we are in, spoiler alert, a dream sequence in which Tommy is decided to go stare at the freshly dug grave of Jason Voorhees. And someone has spray painted Jason <laughs> For he's on top of a piece of wood, like 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 the top of a wagon wheel table, and you're like, "Fuck, cut that out, slap that into the ground." Good enough. They line it with rocks for some reason, and just a giant pile of dirt. He goes out there in the middle of the rain, stares at it, and then hears a noise. This noise turns out to be characters we don't know the names of and the only reason i do is because i had to research it and i got it wrong the first two times it's neil and less and they're what what are their defining characteristics they're very encouraging of one another they're practically on a rowing team but for digging up dead bodies uh, are they uh, are they planning to rape jason's corpse you read my mind, Radcliffe. What? Because <laughs> that is the exact vibe are, I got off. They there. are carrying on like a couple of hillbillies about to participate in a gang rape. They want to fuck that <laughs> corpse. That's the way they look at They're it. Like, like oh. yeah, dig it up, dig it up. Come on, yeah. <laughs> come on, come on. They say the word dig. I counted eight times. <laughs> now, if your primary goal for the evening is dig up a corpse. Bring it back to some spot. Have sex with it. Of course, dig is one of the functions of, you know, your evening. But you don't need to say it over and over again. Once you start digging, like, that's your job. And usually it's your job for six feet. Not so much with Jason. And someone's like, eh, just above the surface is good enough. Just pile some dirt on top of it. They don't even want to get him too far into the ground. And I guess because it's a dream sequence, it's okay. But if it's a dream sequence, they could have instantly cut to them having dug six feet down. Use dream logic. But to just keep that, that ramshackle coffin three inches below the dirt, I don't understand the point of that. That's just stupidity. On have, a set have, designer's part. I have a question about their motivation here. And sure. for the motivation of, of Dreaming Tommy. Mm-hmm. Why does Dreaming Tommy give them names? Does he, <laughs> does he dream a backstory for them? Well, they're an over five, so they need a... I guess they could have been described as Grave Robber 1 and Grave Robber 2. Right. Which is what I assumed they were. But no, they have names. And not just Wikia names, where they just give names to anybody. <laughs> Uh, they, They are listed in the credits as Neil and Les. So they have this shallow grave. Then they talk each other through the delicate mechanics of prying open the top. And then they we get this really creepy close up, as Gina said, as they look over the body and they think, yeah, I can have sex with that hole. And that hole, and here's the thing with Jason, he's now has a lot of holes one could have sex with. But uh, unfortunately, one that's occupied by worms. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they, they thoughtfully left his mask on out of out of respect. So <laughs> he's buried with the only things that he cared for in life that weren't his mother: a hockey mask, a machete, and an ice pick for some fucking reason. Yeah, where that? I, I, I was wondering where that ice pick happened to come from. From machete, the shitty prop warehouse, is my guess. <laughs> from the unimaginative screenplay workbook 
I tried to get, like, I paused on the two guys to try and get a sense of who they were. Mm-hmm. And he, here's what I could really dig up, just, just from a, you know, no research, just from a visual observation. Mm-hmm. Uh, guy one is wearing a hunting cap, and he looks, I would say, late 20s, but he's acting like a college student. And mm-hmm. guy two is wearing a fishing hat, or well, there's another word for it. I can't remember it right now. A bucket hat. A Tilly hat. And he sort of has a uh, a Gilligan kind of look to him a little bit. He has a little buddy vibe. I guess that whoever ha- whoever has the hunting camp is sort of the alpha in this particular group. Right. And Buckethead is the beta. I- I'm not really sure. I don't want to dominate whatever. I don't want to yuck their yum. <laughs> but their yum is fucking yucky. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a lot. It, it it definitely sets up a pattern in this movie, a, a baffling pattern of characters who look like older adults, but are acting like they're about sixteen or seventeen. Yes, right. So so there, it's it's unsettling. It's creepy, but not in a way that I think was intentional. It just kind of gives a very overall. It's it starts the movie off on a grotesque note that it carries almost right to the very end. Like yeah. I don't know, I don't know how old these people are, but they're acting like like troublemaking teenagers and just cackling and talking to themselves <laughs> and and it's very very jarring. It's almost as if no one progressed beyond their initial audition blurb. Like when there's when a when a role goes out for casting, they always put a, a blurb in there, like you know, white male has to look in early late teens, early twenties, muscly has rage problem, whatever it is. They give it <laughs> a little bit of a, a flavor so people can come in and give you their interpretation of that. But no one here has progressed beyond that. They they are giving the first blush of their impression of whatever they've been asked to do. They're is so little depth to this that I'm surprised that when they turn sideways, I can't like see right past them. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get through their deaths. Neil, uh, according to everything that's written, is the one who gets the machete in the gut. Right. And then Les is the one who gets the ice pick to the neck to cold. Yeah, yeah, just his jugular. Instant death to both of them. Yeah, they are like candles in the wind just gone and then jason feeling energized from this rejuvenation of his purpose stands up and sort of i don't know gets on his two feet and does this little shack shuffle remember (laughs) remember when he had that sort of wiggle maneuver that everyone was using as a meme on the internet he kind of does this like hmm i like to be on my two feet again i didn't like being buried in that box (laughs) notices that there's a figure cowering in the bushes with a bright yellow slicker on and slow as he can possibly go wanders over to threaten tommy he stares up with his mouth open and he goes once again adding to the weird sexual dynamic of this entire (laughs) film He's acting the way I think he would have acted normally when he saw those boobs in the last movie. 
But instead, he acts like a cartoon wolf. And then, boom, adult teen halfway in between Tommy. He's supposed to He's supposed to be 17 and oh, looks no. ab- looks about 25. And, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's interesting that he's gone from toady little adolescent Corey Feldman. And you know, I, I could say that because I was a toady little adolescent. To... to <laughs> To basically someone who looks like he should be in a boy band. I mean, <laughs> he is dreamy, <laughs> and, and, and the and the and the and the looking thoughtfully out the window or off in the middle distance does not help reduce that he looks like he should be in Teen Beat look. Yeah, as far as a you know adult version of Tommy's go, Part Six is Tommy is a lot more believable for a a lot of reasons. He just seems more in tune with the character that we were introduced to, whereas this Tommy is so shattered. Yeah, he he doesn't seem traumatized so much as as he just seems like he just hatched out of an egg and just (laughs) doesn't know where he is, doesn't know what day it is, doesn't know his name. He just... Is he constantly looks confused. He constantly looks concerned, which is understandable. But mm-hmm. he looks again. He looks less traumatized than the, the mothership just plopped him down in front of, in, in in the middle of the woods. And are they supposed to still be in New Jersey? This is a question that I have, and I would love your both of your help in terms. I was of looking this. at Matt's diploma on the mm-hmm. wall, and that the, I believe did say New Jersey. That's yeah. as close to an actual approximation of a locale as I've seen yet. And I will have to say for the audience at home, we try to watch these things in sections so that we don't just grow to hate what we have to watch over and over <laughs> and over again. So if if their location is revealed later, my apologies, but as let's say I didn't know anything about Friday the 13th and I just plopped this in, I wouldn't know where the fuck this is. So yeah, I, I don't have any idea, any, any more idea where, where he is than he does. So yeah. I, I feel for the character a little bit. I, I, I'm as confused and taken <laughs> aback and, and, and dismayed as he is. I do know that later on, the sheriff expounds to the mayor, who's straight out of the Jaws handbook. He's like, we got to shut down this whole area because there's a shark by the name of Jason Voorhees around. He's like, Jason Voorhees. And he does this whole New York accent thing that I don't quite understand. Yeah, but, definitely, definitely. Um, Joey has a very heavy New York accent. Yes. So that's, right. what, that's what made me think it might have been upstate New York, maybe. I mean, we're talking about this as if it fucking matters, and it doesn't. But, I mean, it's, it, it's, yeah. it, it's just one more example of how they do nothing to elaborate upon the plot or the setting or the characters in any appreciable way. But let's say for the sake of argument that it is New Jersey and that it's relatively near Crystal Lake because that's why the sheriff knows about Jason Voorhees. Right. Then why would you take Tommy Jarvis back anywhere near where he had had that incident take place? Even if you don't believe that Jason Voorhees is going to rise from the grave and start killing again, why put him through that? What do you gain out of it as a healthcare professional? Well, there's again, there's a certain sort of sense that you know these are all people, young people who are are you know have been abandoned into the system, and nobody is kind to them. The only the only person that has shows them any sort of compassion is is Matt and Pam, but mm-hmm. they're all they're all treated with the same level of suspicion and hostility. Yeah, I mean, so why would they care about whether or not where Tommy is staying is is appropriate to his mental health needs? This movie is so fucking infuriating. Anyways. <laughs> He wakes up, we're treated to yet another uh, Friday the 13th credit sequence with uh, white type on black. And for the second movie in a row, the hockey mask explodes. 
I laughed out loud at that. Who at Paramount Pictures or any of the people that they hired to create this thought, again, for the second time in a row, people associate that mask with explosions. This is not Die Hard. There are no (laughs) explosions in Friday the 13th movies, certainly not to date. So why are we constantly treated to that mask blowing up? At least it made thematic sense in the final chapter because we're quote-unquote ending Jason Voorhees. Here, this is a new beginning. And outside of the Big Bang, not much starts with an explosion outside of an FBI investigation. I noticed the first credit is Mancuso, which is very strange for an executive producer credit. This was kind of his baby. It was a tiny moneymaker, and Paramount wanted to kill it off, and it did so well that I think he said, guys, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's just keep making them, and we'll get another influx of cash. And and they're so happy with the fact that he did that, that he gets the top credit? I'm not particularly sure. So then we're introduced to everybody else. And I will save our introductions of the both staff and the uh, inmates slash patients slash held against their will patients. I don't know. Uh, Really? I mean, are they... Are they held against their will? Because, I mean, this this is a halfway house that we are, it is more or less implied, is for violent, mentally ill teenagers. And it's run by two people, maybe? Two, two people, a, a, a grandfatherly cook who likes to fuck with his grandson. And, and apparently, like, these, these people are wandering off all the time to go have sex in the neighbor's backyard. Wouldn't they're you? Ju- they're just wandering. No, not really. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> not with these people. But uh, but you know they're they're just wandering the grounds. You know they're they're carrying around axes. They have easy access to weapons, even right. though they're all supposed to be violent teenagers or at least you know severely mentally ill teenagers. But they're chopping wood with these giant fucking axes. And I, I'm sure that that Matt, the the guy in charge of the the center home, whatever you call it means well, but he seems to be a little overwhelmed. Yeah, I would put him up with Paul from part two as far as the not-quite-with-it business owners of the Friday the 13th universe. (laughs) Like, I don't trust him. And once again, the local sheriff knows his reputation from Angie's List, which is outside the local Piggly Wiggly, apparently. (laughs) As far as gathering information about local business owners, I... (laughs) It's just insane. So the two people that we really need to be concerned with for this section of the movie is Vin, who is, as Gina described him, a violent, um, angry person. Oh, Vic. Vic My apologies. Yeah, Vic Vic is, he he presumably, I have no idea, is, is a resident, but he, so which means he would be a teenager, except that he is dressed like a character from Al Pacino's Cruising. And, he's not the only one. No, and, he sure and, is not. And looks like he's about thirty. I mean, he has a receding hairline. <laughs> and, then, and again, if I didn't know that this was supposed to be some sort of halfway house, I wouldn't. Is he? Is he an inmate? Is he working there? Is he? he his entire introduction is chopping wood and being angry at a mentally challenged boy. That's his entire contribution to to this motion picture. 
you're introduced to a cast of of supposedly mentally handicapped uh let's they're supposed to be teens but let's call them adults because it would make sense it was an adult halfway house for mentally challenged people trying to be reintegrated into society but joey is the only one who ha- exhibits real symptoms and seems to actually be pretty nice he's, he's he seems slow and he's and chi- kind he, and... he's childlike and, and, and yeah he is the only time he's on screen he has chocolate dribbling out of his mouth it's like it's like they they don't think that the character is pathetic enough looking so they have to make him a little fat they have to make him a little dopey looking and then they have to have him like food spilling out of his mouth and it's like really really he, he has chocolate coming out of the sides of his mouth like <laughs> you would put on a six-year-old if they were going as a vampire for Halloween. (laughs) This is such a first brush attempt at character building. It's terrible. And I don't, this is, I think some of the issue that I have with this film is that we're now being forced to examine these performances (laughs) based on a real thing. There are people who need legitimate mental health help in this world this is not a great setup for this kind of horror film put this in comparison to let's say nightmare on elm street part three dream warriors now those kids have a very specific problem we can see that they're troubled they're troubled in slightly different ways one gal has a drug past one guy is lost in fantasy world there's one person who's too angry okay So they shade that in a way that doesn't make fun or delegitimize the idea of someone having mental conditions. Whereas here, we are treated to the shittiest interpretation of someone's idea of, I'm angry, I'm so angry, my hair's receding backwards to get away from my face. I'm so angry, my forehead's about to burst out of my skin. (laughs) And then just like, a fuck couple who uh, this that's they never all stop they, they they never stop laughing which is which is it, it, I, I they sort of reminded me of um judge doom's weasel the one weasel in in um in, uh, Roger Rabbit Roger Rabbit who just mm-hmm. does not stop laughing the whole time <laughs> like, yeah the, well are we going to get into was it Tina and fake Tom Cruise well no cuz that's know. I think that's yeah that they they don't regrettably their their demises don't come until a little bit later we but have I so like many to, deaths uh, to get through I, I would like to quickly suggest that you make a teen account for uh, this podcast because i think we were discussing this off the air i think this is tina number two right oh it's definitely tina number two there was a tina yeah. in the last one and i am 90 percent certain that the heroine of part seven is also named tina in fact keep talking <laughs> i'm going to go ahead and look that up all right <laughs> And uh, the so Tina is introduced coming in in a cop car from the neighbor's lawn. They think it's hilarious that that they have been caught by the cops having sex on someone's front lawn. They they cannot stop laughing. They, they it's like it, it's like they're sucking down nitrous tanks. They they are Frank boothing it all over the place in this in this movie. <laughs> Frank boothing it. <laughs> I think should be our hashtag for this particular episode. (laughs) I can't think of anything better. The thing is, like, we make light of Friday the 13th characters, and it makes me feel partially guilty about it in this circumstance because we're being put between a rock and and a stupid place. Vic is terminally angry, and then we have this poor schlub of Joey who I'm not entirely... Yeah, is he childlike? Is... You know. I mean, he's, I think he's supposed to read as a little slow, which again, 
Someone who is mentally challenged does not belong in a halfway house with violent criminals. 100% Radcliffe? (laughs) This guy has no business being in this particular facility. I might add, there has been another character who was put into a facility that could not handle his special needs. He went by the name of Jason fucking... Voorhees, <laughs> and he drowned, but then didn't in the middle of the night because well, no one also, could keep track of him. There's also the question that we haven't introduced, we haven't mentioned Reggie yet. Reggie, who is 12 maybe, appears to have no discernible mental issues, yet has to live at this place because his grandfather works as the cook. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I assume that's a callback to 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 Jason having to live at the camp because his mother was the cook, but. You're telling me that these people don't have a home to go to at the end of the night? That Gramps is on 24-hour shift as the the cook for nine people, maybe? Well, you and never kid, know when people might need pancakes in the middle of the night. You're putting this this kid in the middle of the situation where there's there's no reason for him to be there except to set up a kid in peril. Or and, they felt that that was a Tommy flashback, Tommy Jarvis thing, because Tommy was the first child oh, yeah, that, that's true that's true yeah yeah so now they feel like like the fuck couple like the jokester like yeah. the red herring we need he's now been added to the canon of things that must be in a friday the 13th and he, movie. he literally has no reason to be there the 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 reason that he is there is so implausible that i i didn't even it was like well of course he's gonna survive number one he's a kid and number two, there's just it's a it's a pointless character. There's no reason for him to be there. I would say to cut a long story short, but honestly, I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> Joey wanders around, basically gets rejected by everyone around him for an inability to understand what they're doing, and and getting I chocolate don't... on laundry. He got oh, chocolate on Jesus laundry. Christ. I know it's terrible. It's it's terrible. Am I supposed to feel for him? Am I supposed to hate him? And, I think uh, you're supposed to, honestly, you're supposed to dislike him, which is horrible. I think you're supposed to think that he's that he's kind of funny, that the character is funny and, and mock-worthy, which, ew, you know, please fuck yourselves 17 times over, filmmakers, because mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, I mean, I, I thought, I felt bad for him. I, th- I found he might be the only sympathetic character in the movie. Well, Reggie, Reggie's not, like, well, Reggie's Reggie, well Reggie, Reggie doesn't, Reggie doesn't, yeah, but Reggie doesn't get killed. That's true, um, that's true. But, but as far as characters who get killed off, he, I, I fell for him because he shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Once again, if anyone in this movie's dressed like Gilligan, he seems to be. He's got this <laughs> sort of Dockers outfit. Everyone in this movie is dressed in, and this, they're that's all saying they're, something they're for wearing, Friday 13th. They're all wearing costumes. It's very bizarre. And they're there's chocolate costumes. bars. There's chocolate yeah, bars has, poking he, out of his vest. He's a walking vending machine. He's got one in a left pocket, one in the right pocket, one in each hoodie pocket. He's got one just coming out like he's tucked it underneath, like how some women tuck their cell phone into their bra. (laughs) And he's holding one as well. There's a strange amount of beefcake to uh, the characters, too, because normally these movies are concentrating on on breasts, but you get a Tommy shirtless shot very early, and he is ripped, and Vic, too... Or not? Is it? Yeah, it's Vic. Vic too is sitting there chopping wood, looking like a porn star at the beginning of a scene. Joey, chocolate bars and all, wanders over to Vic, offers who, him two chocolate bars. Uh, Vic also has 
a belt with a lot of silver rings on it. I don't know if he's a <laughs> circus performer. Like I said, or it's, a little, it's a little fetishy. He, he's dressed a little fetishly, fetishy. But not the most fetishy dressed victim. No, <laughs> no, no. And that's the thing. All this starts to bleed together because there's so many fucking characters, and I don't know if they know what's going on. Vic also wears these sort of, um, you know, curb stomper boots with feathers or scarves hanging off of them. Like his his leg is a microphone stand for Aerosmith. It doesn't make any fucking sense. He's also got one of those heavy metal armbands with uh, shallow spikes on it. And I don't think you should give a person with his kind of anger issues more metal things to hit people with. I was saying to my friend who I watched this with last night, he was flagging bottom by having the armband on his uh, left ah. bicep. Okay. <laughs> These are new things. We're learning new things. I like this. This is fantastic news. Speaking so of cruising. <laughs> oh wait okay do we we kind of skipped a big thing before the the death of joey we yeah. have not touched on ethel and jr no and i think i i think they get the, i think we need to devote an entire episode to just to ethel and jr we really do i'm bringing in alex alexander who has made a specialty out of both portraying and making fun of country bumpkin characters Okay. For the entirety of her acting career. And it, it, she is, I think, the best person to talk to about this. But if we start opening that particular can of worms, we'll just be standing in worms. Because well, we will enough. never get to anything and, else. And this will be two hours long. Okay, oh. fair enough. Back to back. <laughs> All I'll say about Junior is he is redeemed later when he flies his plane into the mothership in Independence Day. <laughs> So Vic gets pushed over the edge by Joey. It's too much. Too many candy bars. Too many candy bars. He doesn't like his tone. He doesn't like something. But he just gets it in his head. The world would be better off if I put this axe in the back of Joey. And that's what he does. He chops him, but good. It looks like he gets a whole arm off at one point. I think Um, you see a leg severed later there's some sort of limb on top of him when we get that look of roy yeah jowling he's he's so angry that his jowls um vibrate this weak old man we are introduced to very soon (laughs) yeah and we get that we get the other ambulance driver who's all snapping his gum and laughing at the teenage girls are upset because they saw someone basically turn into a pile of ground beef in front of them once again, we're introduced to yet another Friday the 13th trope. That is, ambulance drivers are horrible people. <laughs> they do not give a shit about people being horrendously murdered. Just they think it's funny. They think it's they think it's hilarious when people are upset about it. Yeah, just they are they are recycling stuff left and right. I had to rewind the scene because I due to the I, what I assume are MPAA cuts, you basically see Vic grab the axe. A shot of Joey looking stunned and then cut to ambulance arriving. Yeah, I got that. I got that. I think the the version I watched was very cut down. The death scenes, well, up to what I saw, were not not particularly gory. No, this is right in the section where not only they had gotten away with a lot with the final chapter. And I think that was partially because the MPAA 
figured that Paramount would keep to their word and not make any more of these. And so when they (laughs) brought another one by, they had to pay for it. And so this movie is cut to hell. So if you're looking for gore effects, it has some, but not a whole lot. But if you're looking for open breasts and shirtless dudes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is your buffet, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I was legitimately confused by the cut. Like, I thought, was he actually hurt? It doesn't really give you enough visual information to figure out that he's been axe murdered until you see the body. It's the whole fucking thing's confusing because I don't think it's directed particularly well. No, oh, no. So is it is it directed? <laughs> but you get that naked gunshot of the top of the police car as it drives into the little ranch. Which <laughs> All that it's missing is a blaring horn section. Starts driving to a, a women's locker room shower. Oh, this movie would have been so much better if that ambulance drove through a women's shower. It's the only thing this film is missing besides, you know, a decent plot and good characters and uh, actors and gore effects and an idea. Uh, concept. Uh, so yeah, R.I.P.D. There, Joey. See ya wouldn't want to be a. And apparently, that was Roy's kid. Spoiler alert for a film that came out so long ago, I don't even fucking care to know the date. <laughs> Roy is the bad guy here. <laughs> although Feeble old man Roy. Yes. So it's not Vic, although they must have thought that this would be, he would be a legitimate red herring. Because he does kill somebody with an axe. And then money, many other people are also killed with an axe. So that's what they're signaling towards, right? No, no, no. I, I think definitely it's they're trying to suggest that it could be Tommy. Like I said, he he spends a lot of time staring off into the middle distance. He 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 brings that little that little tiny pocket knife with him, which mm-hmm. I mean again, if he's if he's in a a halfway ha- home for mentally ill people. They didn't search his bags before he came in. Oh yeah, that's how. D- how did he? How was he holding on to that knife at the mental institute I mean, I, that he get, was before this? I, I am going to get a little personal here on Kill by mm-hmm. Kill, but I have uh, done some time in a uh, in a in a center for uh, the very 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 nervous to uh, mm-hmm. take a, take a page from Mel Brooks's High Anxiety, mm-hmm. and they don't let you keep your shoelaces. So I don't know if I, I am dubious that they didn't look through his bags and find this little folding knife that he very meaningfully and slowly puts under his bed, hides under his mattress. Even though at no point does the killer, who you're not supposed to know who it is, ever use a little tiny folding knife to, to murder anybody. So I'm not even sure what the significance was. It would have been a little bit... It, made it, it would have showed some presence of thought if maybe someone had been killed with said little pocket knife. And then Tommy yeah. looks under his mattress and says, oh, someone stole my pocket knife. But oh, no. stop. Stop trying to stop trying to force smartness or complexity or something as that comes close to narrative drive or a, a twist into the stupid story. Stupid movie. They don't do any of that. Yes, they sort of play at him being a red herring. And I think their intention was to, hey, maybe Vic got out of jail. 
They're, they're trying to set up some red herrings, but it nothing ever works out the way you think it's going to. It's just always going to be Roy, who from the second he turns up on camera, there might as well be a neon sign hanging around his neck that that flashes killer. Yeah, killer, I mean, I mean, when, killer. when he, you know, after the reveal that it's, oh, it's poor little Joey chopped to bits, and, you know, the other ambulance driver just thinks it's hilarious, which is Duke. strange. That's Duke. Duke. Duke, okay. I mean, you, <laughs> you could actually see Roy's face just in his eyes, like, well, that's it then, time to kill. <laughs> you could just, you could just, you could just see the decision-making process in his head, it's like, yep, that's it. I'm well, fucking killing I'd like everybody. to get a, a time count of the length of that close-up because it must have been over 10 seconds. It's like they were paid by the second by some sort of foreign investor who was really into shaking jowls as a sexual fetish. <laughs> it's it's so long and the music is just saying, that's the killer, guys. The editor might as well just point a finger at the film as it's running by. Go, that one right there. See that one? Pay attention to that one. Well, also, at the same time, the cop is saying, and nobody knows who his father was. <laughs> Why doesn't anyone know who, who his father Why? Because his mom died during childbirth, and they never said who the father was. That's why he was in, in and out of orphanages his whole uh, life. Apparently, in and out of orphanages within a 10-mile radius of, right. of, this, of this, this home in which he happened to just end up at in the same town that Roy works as a paramedic driver for. So once again, like, if he was so disconcerned with Joey's life up until this point that he let him bounce from halfway home to foster facility to to mental institution, and then he sees that he's lying on the ground chopped to bits, and now he's like, that was my son. Where the fuck were you his previous 20-some-odd years? Where were you when he needed chocolate bars? They could have added a quick throwaway line that, oh... You just moved here, huh, Roy? Because, you know, then you could get the sense that he's following his son around, but without actually interacting with him. And that would make sense, but yeah, they don't. No. Nothing, nothing in this movie It seems sense. like he's worked there a long time because you get this, like, uh, the guy, the partner seems to know him pretty well. The blonde, other blonde ambulance guy who's a real jerk. Once again, uh, creatively named Duke. Every single thing in this movie seems to have been drafted from the shittiest book Stephen King ever wrote, and he just threw it in the garbage. And then <laughs> the guy who wrote the script for this is like, I'm I'm hunting your trash can, because that's what this really reminds me of. Someone who's read too much Stephen King fancies himself as such and attempts to create local yokel crazy main people and greaser bullies oh, and every death scene is prefaced with just this incoherent irritating dialogue which is either shouted at people or or people just talking to themselves i don't know if it's set up to be as, as a substitute for character development or for the audience to say okay you know what please just hurry up and die hurry up and die please please for the love of god it's uh it's an absolute mystery to me kill 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 break 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 well greetings and salutations kill by kill fans uh, we're going to take a quick break just to remind you to check out all the other shows on the Ear Trumpet Audio Broadcast Network. Go to eartrumpetaudio.com to find out all the great shows that are there. I highly recommend it. And for people looking for maybe a bit more horror, maybe literary horror, my suggestion 
is to check out the Teen Creeps podcast. They're going through all of these great young adult novels, particularly the books of Christopher Pike. And it's uh, two female comedians here in Los Angeles. They're both great and funny. And it's just something I haven't heard before. And when that pops up, I thought, ah, see, this audience would get that. Teen Creeps podcast. Uh, Look it up wherever podcasts are sold. I have no idea how it works, and I do one. Anyways, I do know one thing about how podcasts work, and that is iTunes reviews help you get seen by more people, and I asked our wonderful killers out there that if they had a favorite kill in the Friday the 13th series, that if they wrote about it in their iTunes review, I would read it during the podcast, and luckily enough, we just got one from Hack LaSalle. And uh, she writes about how her favorite kill happens in Jason X. The last, oh, well, I guess it's the second to the last of the New Line series because Freddy versus Jason's in there. But it's far and away the best one, crazily enough. Uh, she writes about how it features her favorite kill, the freeze-dried face smashing. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. You know what I also noticed because I caught a couple minutes on uh, the Sci-Fi channel the other day? Uh, a lot of wonderful knits. Whoever the costume designer was on that thing, man. They knew some materials. It's it's a re- wonderfully costumed Friday the 13th, which almost never happens. I mean, it might be the first. We'll see. We've got a few films to go to. She also wonders whether or not we're going to continue on with another franchise. Well, our plan is to get through the Friday the 13th series. Now, the next plan would be, if everyone is still enjoying it, including Gina and I, that we continue on with the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and then we meet at Freddy versus Jason. Uh, where we go from there, there are actually a lot of different places. But, you know, it really depends on if the audience wants us to keep going. And hopefully you do. Thank you for all of your support. And now, the body count continues. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. Speaking of cartoon greaser bullies... Let's move on to our next pair because we could discuss the intricacies of characters that we really need to save for our our own other unfortunate dips into this movie. It's like a a clown scarf. It will just keep coming out and out and out and out. Well, you get what looks like a Plymouth Fury driving up with these two greaser types. It's nighttime now. Yes. Yeah, they are Vinny and Pete who are on their way to star in a dinner theater production of Grease. Well, they, they do say what they're going to do, and I don't want to repeat what they say. Yeah, no, they do. are uh, going to meet some nice ladies. And, uh, and so they say. Need to are hurry they? up and get their car fixed. Gina, are they meeting nice ladies? <laughs> are they meeting, quote unquote, ladies at all? Because this is my theory. As, as a straight dude, white, square as it can fucking be. Well, I'm glad you have me here for... Uh... <laughs> To, to, to vet your concept, so let's see yes. your pitch. and please correct me with all your experience and know-how. Nobody bickers this much unless blowjobs are involved. <laughs> These two are fucking, because no one has this much passion and hatred and dissatisfaction with their partnership. There's nothing that binds these two together other than hand jobs in the forest. 
And otherwise, I just, I do not believe they are meeting ladies. And I'm not doubting their manhood. I'm saying these two are totes fucking. When we mentioned cruising earlier on, these two appear to have just wandered off of one Paramount set into another through a time vortex. Uh, Please, John, go ahead and tell me to fuck off. No, no, no. Vinny in particular flags very gay due to his leather hat, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which isn't really a greaser accoutrement, I wouldn't call it. Mm-hmm. He comes out of the car after ordering Pete to try and fix whatever's wrong with the car. They're bickering about the car. Uh, they say they're going to meet the C-word, which I was very surprised about them dropping in this movie. Uh, but the C-word maybe is their term for uh, ex- extra relationshipal men who are receptive i don't i'm not going to read too much into here maybe they're Uh, perhaps they perhaps they were english right (laughs) and uh in addition to everything else that they are (laughs) there is a dom sub element to their relationship because because vinny is ordering pete around yeah. He's telling him to fix the car. He's yelling at him. He's criticizing him. Uh, and then he loudly declares that he's going to poop. <laughs> Just in the woods, as as one does. He needs to go way into the woods. He doesn't. He see they are in a relationship because he doesn't want to poop in front of his sub. He feels that would demean him. So he needs to go about like it seems about 400, 500 feet away. Why is the Friday the Thirteenth series so fascinated with dudes shitting that Don't we have know. to see it in a movie after movie? We had one that was three D, and we got to see it twice in that one because what needs to be depicted in three dimensions more than a guy's incomplete shit? Right. And now we're treated to his journey into the woods, which halfway through he's scared by a fucking bunny rabbit. Right. I I don't know what that means, but this is supposed to be an illusion that, oh, Jason's out here. And then, no, that's that's a cute bunny rabbit. Is that supposed to be his version of a jump scare? That's his cat scare? Well, then we do. We we do get a cat scare. Yeah. Very, very soon after. I, the only thing that's scary about that cat scare is the condition of that cat. Because it's my belief that a grip just threw that fucking cat. If you watch the velocity of that cat, he doesn't... They say they always land on their feet. Not that cat. He lands on his head into the side of a fucking booth. That's not cool. It's I'm not. I'm more afraid of the health standards of that cat. Yeah, diner. I was going to say that you, you, you get a... And, oh, it was just the cat fake out. Which, what the fuck is a cat doing in a diner? We're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes, we yes, have we so are. much in front of us. Yes, we are. All these, all these episodes... Uh, we're going to be... This is going to be like our Hollywood handbook episode. It's just going to be... <laughs> Nine hours long. Oh my god! What are they talking about? I can't tell. Who are? What? Who? When? Okay, <laughs> Vinny, Vinny and Pete, our sub and our dom, are broken down on the side of the road. They're bitching at one another constantly. They appear as if they've wandered from yet another set. I can I can refer to which is the Police Academy movies and the Blue Oyster. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is. I don't know what it was, but their idea of what gay was was entirely limited to guys in black leather. There's a panacopia of gayness in this world that is not guys in black leather. But now don't tell Paramount siblings. 1980s. You've got jock straps. Uh, <laughs> you've got blue jeans, but you're kind of just shirtless and oily. 
I could go on. Uh, isn't armpits a thing? I've heard armpits is a thing. Um, not for me. Uh, that's <laughs> fine. I, I'm not judging. I'm just saying in the world. So one goes off to take a shit in the woods and... We're left with another person to try to fix this car with a screwdriver and a wrench. Right. Which I don't think you'll get very far in. I'm not mechanically inclined, but it seems like that's not what you fix a battery with. Two like metal objects. The carburetor, too. I, but it sparks at one point. Is that a true. carburetor function? I, fuck if I know. No. I, <laughs> I look, an engine makes no sense to me. I'm, I'm a professional writer. I don't use my hands. Anyways... While his friend's off shitting in the woods, he gets a road flare to the mouth. If you needed yet another signifier, am I wrong, John? Am oh. I reading too much into this? You know, I, I, I we, uh, me and my friend did discuss that. The there is a certain phallic imagery here, but the scene itself, the suspense is drawn out over about two minutes of a figure slowly approaching with a lit road flare, to <laughs> two feet. There's nothing you can keep undercover quite like a lit road flare. It's, it's there's no visual cue. It's soundless. Yeah, and of course, and of course, you know, Pete is like, "Hey, man, what are you doing?" Like, it's perfectly normal for a person, even your 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 dom, to to just start walking towards you with a road flare. He, he's initially kind of calm, and oh, here's here's Vinny playing another trick on me, holding out a road flare towards me in a in a menacing manner because that's that's something couples do to each other. <laughs> it seems about at about five feet, he recognizes that it's not actually Vinny. No, it's a guy in an ambulance driver <laughs> uniform <laughs> with a, with a patch that says Roy on it, and and under and under and underneath Roy, he's written in with a sharpie in parentheses Joey's father. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it might be a sash, but no, I like uh, I like it written in, in Sharpie. It seems more Roy. So yeah, he totes, gets a road flare blowjob, uh, which does well, not go well for him at all. It's a good effect. I thought the head model was pretty good. Satisfying. It wasn't gory, but it was gross. So now that he's, I assume, completed vacating his bowels, then uh, Vinny arrives back on the scene and we get treated to both his scatting and drum skills. And also he walks past Pete, who has just collapsed on, <laughs> yeah. the, on the engine. And he's like, he's like, still working on that car? And it's like... <laughs> Most people aren't supplying <laughs> their heads smoking, by the way. <laughs> yeah. He's just like splayed out on the engine block. And Vinny walks right past him. Hey, you think that fucking car yet? And, <laughs> and, like, good... and he's like, yeah, da, 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 da. ain't fix that fucking car yet. Yep, da, 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 da. You get a good 45 seconds of him trying to start the car, too, because they, they, they seem to be stretching for time. Oh, here. my God. And the, and, and the only one that's stretched out more is the next scene. And it's just it's oh, God in heaven. <laughs> the the only thing missing from this sequence is a person just off camera giving that stretch symbol. The stage <laughs> man is there. Because keep it going. Keep, keep, it, going. keep it going. I I'll I'll only use like ten seconds of this, but give me everything that you have and I'll choose from that, you know, I'll choose a section here, a section there, and we'll be cutting back and forth. And he's like, sure, that sounds like a plane. And then the, like when they came into the editing booth that day, he's like, Do you want to edit that section? He's like, how long is it? Oh good forty five seconds. 
Yeah, just put all of it in. Just leave I'm it sure in the it. audience will be super entertained. It's by his- gold. It's gold, say, Jerry. I'm not. I'm not whittling down this diamond. It's perfect the way it is. <laughs> Why would you? It's everything you want to see in a Friday the Thirteenth movie. The the joy of the recently shitted and scatting, so um, speak. Decorative hats. <laughs> And a non-starting th- car. I mean, it's got it all. In another kind of hard-to-decipher kill, I had to watch this twice to figure out if Jason was in or out of the car. I think he was but, hiding in the back seat. Right. It was the old... But the it old, is uh, confusingly yeah, shot where you... I don't know. His hands just kind of come out of nowhere. I'm also not sure how one can get a machete around someone inside a car. Machetes are long, are they not? I mean, it was yeah. <laughs> It would seem to me that he would, Typically. you know, it would go out the window before before bringing it back, bringing it back around. I'm right. trying to think. I'm trying to picture the physics of that, and it doesn't really compute very well. But then again, I I failed physics, so what do I know? No, if you put this in in Ted's computer, this would come up as a dead fuck of a scene. This is <laughs> just terrible in every single way. It's shot bad, and we are reached a new era in Friday the Thirteenth movies. And that is the out of doors, regardless of the weather, is lit like the moon is on fire. (laughs) (laughs) But only in shafts. Everything, it might as well be the middle of the day. There's a little bit of black here and there, but for the most part, it is insanely bright. There are lights behind bushes, as if a movie premiere is happening just (laughs) on the other side of the hill. R.I.P.D., I guess. These two dipshits, Vinny and Pete. I'm I'm sorry that you could only find one another in this podunk town and that they didn't understand your leather fetish or whatever the hell else you had going on. I I hope that you were buried together. (laughs) Oh, sad sandwich style, I think, would be the best way for them to go because then you only have to pay for the one plot. Uh, we we then get some various Michigas uh, happening after that, but it's it is the I'm to in tune that no, it's a, the following day we have that whole shirtless scene with Tommy. Oh, and, and his martial arts, this. yeah, his and then he, martial, martial arts, arts skills, yeah, and then yeah. he gets into a fight with Eddie, is that the, his name? Uh, the, 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 the Tom Cruise impersonator, yeah, is the John guy likes who. Yeah, even though it's it's very strange that even though some of the characters seem to be wearing bizarre costumes, the people, the kids at the halfway house, all they never seem to change their clothes. <laughs> they are they are wearing the same outfits the entire time. Like when you were first introduced to Eddie, he is he has that that eighties cut off flannel shirt, completely open with the exposed chest at all times, and he mm-hmm. comes down to breakfast first thing in the morning. With the chest already on full display. Everyone has a chest that's ready for full display in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and, I think that was a prerequisite when they auditioned. And, and you know, and we're given another. You know, oh, Tommy has a really explosive temper, and he's and he's quiet until he beats the shit out of a guy for scaring him with a rubber mask. But yeah, no movie. I I still don't buy that that it's Tommy doing this. Yeah, Tommy, for a person who's been in mental institutions in and out of them for a lot of his life so far has a very terrible way of dispensing pills. Oh, Just yeah. to open the top of it and just <laughs> spill as many as he can and then dry swallow them. Uh, he's also fucking jacked. Yes. Like, he, he has a body to kill for. He's got the cum gutters. 
He's got a, a proto '80s six pack going on. Like, yeah, he's, he's definitely, wearing... he, yeah, he's definitely been doing some Cape Fear shit while uh, while he's been in his various <laughs> institutions, just lifting paint cans, just doing doing you know one handed one arm push ups against his bunk and. I was, I was surprised he wasn't just covered in tattoos. You know, he got his mother's name on one arm and, you know, big old, a, big, old ma- big old hockey mask tattoo in his back says, find him and kill him. He does a very impressive UFC-style leg takedown. Yeah, he, yeah, has he, a... he lifts Eddie up and throws him onto a table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're in, in parlance. They're wrestling very stiff because when Eddie gets lifted, it's like he's... He's planking. He's <laughs> there's no give to his body. He's just like he told the stuntman, like, how do I do this? He goes, just keep your body stiff, and he'll do all the work, and that's what he does. And they're like, well, all right, we did it one take. Should we do another one? Now I'd have to replace the table. Let's use that one. Moving on. Now it looked like the actor who played Tommy is doing those stunts. It looks like he's got some Jim Connor kind of skills going on. <laughs> He's a little bit Jim Cotta, a little bit Jesse from Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two: Freddy's Revenge. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. They're they're just pulling from any source they can possibly get at this point, hoping that movie comes out of it. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, the, this... the, the all the scenes at the the halfway house seem to be designed mostly to set up the red herring that it's Tommy committing the murders, which we know it's not. And at, at no point, again, not to bury a point in deep into the ground, but it doesn't. the The movie does not do a good job of convincing the audience of that. So these pastoral scenes at the the halfway house are pretty pointless. Yeah, this body slam is not convincing of a knife killer. Like I, I don't remember any kill in this particular film that is the result of a suplex. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, he's not convincing as a red herring. He does, Eddie has hair that's reminiscent. You know what he reminds me of? It is not so much uh, Tom Cruise, but uh, he has a definite Ken Marino at his dreamiest uh, vibe. Ken Marino, the only celebrity to ever have a conversation with me on Twitter. Ken Marino is awesome. He Ooh. deserves better than to be compared to the shitty movie. Uh, this is also when we go back to Ma and Pa Kettle. No, <laughs> no the introduction of the sexy drifter who goes nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Like I said, that that's a whole episode. They're a whole episode yeah. of themselves. <laughs> Again, just so much going on. So many bad wigs. So much dirtiness. Everyone's filthy. It's yeah, terrible. I don't know. I don't know where these. Again, we we talked earlier about how there's no sense of setting. You know, presumably, it's still New Jersey or uh, or maybe upstate New York, and and these people are straight out of Hee Haw. I think Hee Haw people would look down on them. They live in a place with dried herbs hung from every conceivable surface, and I've never seen that before. Well, she I, eats healthy. If you see her cooking, it's actually pretty. You know, she's she's trying to put a weight loss plan for her son, who obviously has some eating issues, and uh, she's in good shape. Yeah, it's fa- it's farm to table, yeah. literally, and I don't understand why he's so uh, her suit as a result. Uh, we all- hairy. <laughs> oh, that's right. Um, I also don't understand why he's so hairy and why he's so overweight. Uh, we also, after this, get a scene in which they're picking up the dead bodies of our greaser couple. And Roy just interjects himself by saying, 
were you talking to me after someone says something about <laughs> and, the and killer? What was the, what, was the, what was the line like? Like like oh, the one in the cup says. I guess we have a maniac on the loose. Which which you're talking about me? If you're, yeah, he just kind of looks up like like uh huh. You sure do. But uh, but I, but I love the 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 reading of the. I guess we look like we have. A, I guess it looks like we have a maniac on the loose because it reminds me of the fake trailer Thanksgiving when when <laughs> when the guy dips his finger into the blood and like sticks it in his mouth and he's like it's blood and then I think it was Michael Bean. He just he just looks at him and he's like. Son of a bitch. <laughs> and it's just for some reason it reminds me of just that, like, oh, you really, you think we have a maniac on the loose? You you think that because someone found, you know, you know a guy with his you know neck slashed open, another guy with a road flare? It might be a maniac. You know, great job, CSI. <laughs> I just want, oh, very quickly, if we're talking about Crystal Lake CSI, for the record, when I saw Friday the 13th 3... Uh, on the big screen, they do have that stupid deer out there. Okay. In the middle of... <laughs> That's a callback that no one but me cared about, but I'm like, oh, there was a deer. Oh, that's on me. Totally on me. So, yeah. And he tips up that hat like Barney Fife. And they point to Roy so hard. It's it, They need one of those guys who flips the sign to tell you this is where you do your income tax. <laughs> Just to the side of Roy at all times. And on that side, both sides, it says killer. It's just such terrible job of subtly, and this film has no subtlety, pointing at him to say that he might be a suspect. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, Sheriff. When you were talking about uh, Maniac Killer being on the loose, I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> Sheriff. You're talking about me, right? You're talking just about me? Then? Is anyone saying the word killer? Because I'll pop into frame. No? Yes? <laughs> I may look. Oh, what's the name of the guy from Law and Order? The the DA, uh, long term. He was also in the Frank Grace and Frankie. Oh, uh, Sam Waterston. Yeah, I may look like F- Sam Waterston, but I'm here to kill. I mean, take care of the bodies. I mean, stop looking at me. I, I don't know what look at me. At. I don't know what you're looking at. Everything's fine. Everything's perfectly normal. I don't what, have a son. Written... I, I have a son. I, 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 no, no, I have a son. No, not at all. His de- name definitely wasn't Joey. What's that written on my chest? Nothing. Yes, it says Joey, but it's another Joey. It's okay, my hands are covered one. in chocolate, but it's not a family trait. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be great. Uh, they should show us nibbling on a chocolate bar at some point. <laughs> While crying. <laughs> he never got to finish this one. <laughs> I love my dead chocolate-covered son. <laughs> Um, so, yeah. So that happens, and then it's night yet again. Oh, it's just God. an excuse for continuous nights. <laughs> and just, then we run we run we, into yet another gem of a character here, and that is Billy. Billy. Bus driver he, Billy. He is, he, is, he is a 45-year-old man who is, seen, who is seen doing donuts in a diner parking lot. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually had to read the wiki to realize that he was... He was seen earlier in the movie. I yeah. he drove the bus. I honestly thought that this was just another. These were just two other rando characters, like like Vinny and Pete. But this was a character who had two lines, maybe like a half hour earlier in the movie. Well, he performs and, what is the greatest of visual tricks, which is he turns his oh ear, the tongue, his thing. tongue to come out. Oh God, that's right. That was him, wasn't he, it? 
he's also seen reading a porno mag in the passenger seat of a van. And <laughs> he he might as well be a, example A in a sexual harassment seminar. They, like, they, don't be a Billy. They must have a, a vast shortage of townspeople. Well, of course they do. Jason killed them all. But but yeah. you know, this this is the kind of person you're hiring to work for a hospital or a home for mentally ill teenagers. Some of them young women. You know, the the best you can get for a cook is an elderly gentleman who has to bring his adolescent grandson with him as part of a package yeah. deal. It's just the 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 you know the, these were their, what, what were your other applicants like? If this was if this is what you were they people who were in the halfway house and then they were discharged and came back looking for a job? Who are these people? Why are they here? Why do you have them in these in these roles? But he's seen in a van that has the mental health institute stamped. On it, and when I say stamped, I mean spray painted on it, (laughs) which I assume is not local, and yet he is local, which means he drives to his mental health institute destination because he doesn't seem to directly work for the halfway house. It's so fucking confusing. He he says something about that he empties out bedpans. It's like, no, you're not emptying out bedpans and driving people around. I guess he's supposed to be an orderly. Actually, uh, my roommate does both. He does drive vans and he does uh, like white people and uh, really yeah he's a hyphenate does he does he does he sexually harass women by waggling his tongue in a nauseating fashion at them absolutely not okay he's a professional (laughs) whereas billy is just a collection of the most bizarre texts and idiosyncrasies i think i've ever seen he drives up in his muscle car he's dressed like he's straight out of the le jejun de paris sketch from snl With his striped French sailor shirt, <laughs> and he, 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 he's got that he's got that faux generic butt rock blasting on his uh, on his stereo. <laughs> and if you imagine, uh, as I said before, Will Arnett by way of John Waters, you have a pretty good mental image. You'd have to shrink Will Arnett down and then grow John Waters' mustache out. But I see it. Um, he's also got a crazy chin dimple. And he has access to cocaine, oh, which is the first has... time we see cocaine in a Friday the 13th movie, because well, that's the... what was missing from this. I was going to say, well, it was the 80s, so that they were, they were, that was, uh, that was something that was noticeably missing from the earlier movies is lots and lots of cocaine. And they really want to uh, uh, challenge the idea of a gun being seen in the third or second act going off in the third by having these razor blades that he's cutting the coke with being absolutely not an element of uh, anything that happens later. (laughs) We meet his girlfriend, lover, whatever she is, Lana, who, again, we've never seen before. We don't know who she is. They spend an interminable amount of time playing some sort of game, which, you know, hey, tell Lana I'm here. Well, let me ask her, Lana, Billy's here. Do you want to say, well, are you sure? I don't know. Shut up. I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, it's, it's real people don't do this. And then Lana, who looks to be in her 30s. She turns around and runs to the diner saying, I'm going to party. And then you realize there's no one in the diner. No, there's a cat. She's announcing to nobody that she is about to go out and party. Like this is some sort of epic event. Again, if she is 
if she's younger than 30, I will eat one of my many hats. No, but, when, but, but these are, but these characters are set up like they are 18 year olds and it's weird and it's creepy. Now, when you're getting ready to go out on a date, do you like to go to the mirror and then flash yourself? I was going to say yes. she, she bears her breasts at her own reflection for, for reasons <laughs> that I cannot fathom except that someone behind the scenes thought, oh, oh, oh shit, it's been over half an hour, we haven't gotten a boob shot yet. I mean, she's just giggling and flirting at herself in a bathroom mirror, and, and I cannot help thinking that this is what a man's idea of what women do when they're in the bathroom. <laughs> just, you know, making kissy faces at herself and continuously spritzing the binaca in her mouth, which is really weird. It's like, she yeah. like, she like sprays it, grins at herself, you know, giggles, sprays it again, and then it's just like... I, I expect that she's going to, like, do some sort of would you fuck me? I'd fuck me so hard sort of thing. <laughs> it's like... I, I like, got to confess here. I really liked Lana. She seemed nice. She seems like a fun girl who's trapped in a bad situation because yeah. there are so few men in this town that she has now resorted to a coke fiend tiny thin person with a bulbous mustache and nose and chin dimple at, who's... Again, uh, the second person in a row who's taken to drumming his own steering wheel. Like, who is the director of this is like, you know what people do? They drum their own steering wheel. I need to see it. I need everyone who has access to a steering wheel to drum the shit out of it. While angrily honking their horn and yelling at their sexual partner. (laughs) Well, to me, that that strikes me of a first time director asking someone to come up with business while Mm -hmm. sitting in a car. Yeah. You know, you're like, okay, what are you going to do while you're waiting? Uh, come up with something. And the first thing you'll come up with is, I think, drumming the, the steering wheel. But it doesn't, no one actually does it. Well, yeah, he does it. While, he does they're the talking to them, it. while they're talking to themselves. He has a beer holder in his car. <laughs> I, just like how you a, make, I just like how you make that statement. Like, this is all you need to know about this character. He has a beer holder in his car. <laughs> well, it's, let me date this film for it. He has a beer holder specifically for his beer. Uh, he also places uh, his cocaine in the same place every other person in movies store their extra keys right on the visor. Yeah, how, um, that, how do you do that? I don't know. I, he I honestly keeps don't. his porn in the work car. <laughs> <laughs> that is work porn. You don't yeah. take that home. You have your you have your home porn. You don't want to like end up at work and not have any porn there. Yeah. Oh Jesus. So. Yeah, he he cuts himself up some rails and goes to town. Why does why does his cocaine come in two compartments? He has it in two visors. He has the mirror in one place and the actual drugs in another. Like, and it seems to be a system for him. No, wait a second, he's got a vial of of cocaine, but he also has a baggie of cocaine. <laughs> Why do you need two contain? Why do you need to take out both containers? Lana said they're going to party. You know, you need to you need to stock up. You need to stock up on your snacks. You need to stock up on your tunes. You need to stock up on your blow. I mean, come on, yeah. Patrick. You 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 grew up. You were an '80s kid. I mean, you were like <laughs> you were like 13 when this movie came out, but still. Yeah, well, and I certainly was neck deep in in cocaine culture. That's for sure. Everyone um, was. <laughs> I mean, I was seven, I think, when this movie came out, and I was you know doing at least a couple of rails a week. How, how are you supposed to stay awake for school? I mean, come on. Yeah, that's right. Man, uh, and this is when we get tough. this is when we get the egregious health code violation of a cat just being in the leaping diner. out of nowhere. Ew. I, I, I love cats, not, but ew. He's not leaping. 
by the way. It looks like he's shot out of a t-shirt cannon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cool, man. Every time I see it, it he literally hits his chin on the side of a booth. Is it a real and, cat that's being thrown? Yeah, that's a real cat because oh, it, no. it turns in midair. And so it's just some grip tossing that cat, but throwing it like an NFL quarterback. There's a whole lot of problems with this restaurant. They have a lot of exposed extension cards. Oh, no. <laughs> they have a lot of open cans of beans. I just, to me, I would never want to eat there. I just think it's odd that they're letting you know, a single waitress just shut it down for the evening. I mean, I, I've worked at a restaurant. I mean, it's been a long time, but you don't leave one person to shut the place down. There's pans on the floor. There's <laughs> there's a dish of food still on the counter when she locks up. Ugh. This is it's so fucking gross. Look. And so while while she's attending to this cat, uh, Billy, who's minding his own business, takes an axe full on to his bald spot. <laughs> uh, that's uh, humiliating i was gonna i was gonna yeah. say that uh if you if the scene had gone on a little longer you'd realize she was working for the diner that that bar from you can't do that on television ran <laughs> that what would explain it in the burgers <laughs> john you're canadian can you verify this you know actually true story i auditioned for the final season of oh my god really awesome. that's amazing <laughs> that is awesome. If you don't have that on your tombstone, I'm going to come up and spray paint it on there. I'll come I, back from the dead. I don't care. I thought for sure I saw Alanis when I was a kid, but it would have been way too late. But it was my, uh-huh. my childhood imagination swore Alanis was there. She wasn't. But I got to meet the guy who plays Barth and, and the uh, the director. He's the show creator. It's good stuff. Yeah. Watch You Can't Do That on television. It's awesome. It's the corniest ass shit in the world, but I love it. Then we have this poor girl, Lana who just was closing up for the evening. She wanders out. She gets pissed that Billy isn't there, and he's bloodlessly been carried away. She manages to miss both the killer with the giant bloody axe and the body, gets in the passenger seat, then notices that there's a killer with a bloody axe. Wait, no, she, no, she notices No, she notices that there's cocaine laid out in the car. Yeah. Before She's like, notice, you're wasting this. Before noticing the, the, the killer with the large axe. She panics. She can't open a door. So she does the very familiar Friday the 13th grab bag reaction, which is the thing that I've been doing my whole life. Aiming a cardboard box. Running away. I Opening a car door. This is something I can't do. She does manage to get out of it and then for her trouble, receives the same axe to her gut. R.I.P.D. Lana. Oh my god, this is a marathon. Thank you both for trying to get through this. Sorry Shit. that this is your longest episode ever. It, it, is, it is. It is. It is. It already is. These are all going to be. These are all going to be long. I mean, we we and we we swore we were gonna we were just gonna go we were gonna haul ass this entire one, but all of these are going to be long because we have so much to say about them. Yeah. All bad. Uh, <laughs> nothing good. So let's do as we always do. Let's choose our own death venture here. And we have a lot to choose from. Would you rather die from a machete to the gut, an ice pick to the neck, a axe murder to the back after a lot of chocolate bar consumption, a road flare to the mouth, a throat slash via axe or machete, we can't really tell, or an axe to your bald spot, or axe to your gut? And I look to you, our guest, John, 
to start us off. Now, less is a desirable death because it's it seems very quick and he dies instantly. It's also a dream. But I'm going to give Joey some love here. And, and you know, I, I empathize with him because I think he has the roughest luck in this movie because he's just trying to be a nice guy and give people chocolate bars. Yeah. Uh, so I will, I will beat Joey. I'll take his, his pain this time. At least you get to die after consuming chocolate, which mm. raises the bar on it. Gina, how about you? Well, raises the bar? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Spectacular. Uh, well, I don't have a bald spot. I have long, luxurious hair. But be that mm. as it may, I, uh, as I've established many times over, I, I am a wimp. I do not enjoy pain. So I am going to have to take Billy's way out because it seems like it would probably be the fastest. I have never owned a leather motorcycle jacket, nor that sort of fanciful leather cap that he dons. So I might go with Finny, I just because I like I kind of like that look, and, and I've always wanted to be a Stephen King greaser bully. And so. you know what? You you would have just moved your bowels, so you won't have the humiliation of your corpse being found with having shat yourself immediately upon death. And I'm also scared of bunnies, so it all fits. <laughs> this is a through line of my life oh my goodness what a journey hey john uh, where can people uh hear more from you well you can go to the uh square roots podcast for classic rpgs where we play through a little chunk of an rpg at a time usually classic ones uh 10 years or older uh lots of nintendo like uh final fantasy and that kind of game uh, you can go uh, find me there. Or the Square Roots group for cool, fun, smart, sexy people is a way to contact us, too. <laughs> Excellent. And can people uh, find you on Twitter? Oh, I'm I'm there at Johnny Barnstorm, but there may be occasional homoerotic smut, so uh, just a warning. Okay. Well, <laughs> a, it hasn't a warning or it, so A warning or an invitation. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's both. Uh, hey, Gina, where can people find you on the internet? I write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Hey, everybody, if you want to talk to us, there's a very easy way to do it. We're on Twitter, at KillByKillPod, or if you have something longer to say, maybe you send us an email, KillByKillPod at gmail.com. Once again, we would love to ask our audience, if you have not already, Write us a lovely review if you like the show on iTunes. It helps other people find us and will help grow the show. If you write about your favorite kill from the Friday the 13th series, we'll read it here on the air. That is my promise to you. And that will do it for the Kill by Kill podcast. And so for myself and John and Gina, bye-bye, everybody. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.